Welcome back to Investing Experts Podcast. Today, we have a special episode for you that is an excerpt from our most recent webinar with Beth Kendig and Knox Ridley. Together, they run Tech Insider Network on Seeking Alpha. They share their insights on creating a defensive tech portfolio for these extremely volatile markets. And Knox dives into the hedging strategy that they have developed for their fund that has doubled the returns of the NASDAQ since its inception. If you want access to the full webinar, including the Q&A segment, click on the link in the podcast description, and we hope you enjoy. Thanks, Daniel. Actually, we are also overweight tech. We're 100% all tech portfolio, which is actually quite advanced. Um, We're audited, and I'm going to go into some of the audited results halfway through the the, uh, presentation. You can look for our official press release over the next two weeks, but I'd love to drop some hints about where we uh, performed. We performed pretty pretty good actually, apples to apples compared to all other uh, tech portfolios. So uh, we'll save that for the middle of the presentation. Uh, And regarding whether uh, tech will outperform this year, uh, I agree with both of you, the people who said yes and no. Uh, There are going to be some stocks that I think will continue to lead the market. There actually were some tech stocks that led the market last year. It just got buried by all of those that uh, failed to put up gains. So we want to look at what 2022 did, uh, what it signals for 2023. I'm going to call it the new macro. And I want to drill into why as tech investors, we need to do a 180 degree pivot. You need to completely change everything you knew about tech investing over the past 10 to 12 years. And I'm going to keep it very, very simple because I feel like when you get too deep, uh, which is important as well, Uh, that key uh, elements are missed. And I want to make sure you walk away with one or two of the most important elements to building a defensible portfolio in technology this year. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and share my screen. Okay, great. So like I said, uh, you know, this is an incredibly important topic and uh, I'll actually just turn off my video and I'll come back on at the end. So I'd like to discuss why basically having a defensible tech portfolio is not an oxymoron, that this can actually be achieved defensible tech. Um, And like I said, 2022, very frustrating year, but it actually provided some very important clues about how to build a tech portfolio moving forward. We want to embrace 2022 as a a teacher for the next few years. Uh, I won't go too deep into it. What happened with Silicon Valley Bank but I will say that it signals a slower recovery for high growth tech companies. Uh, I would have thought maybe tech would have a recovery by 2024. What we are seeing with Silicon Valley Bank, likely some tech companies defaulting would put this out even more. However, when I say high growth tech companies leading, most people confuse that and think I'm saying all tech, which is not what I'm saying. High growth tech is uh, you know, characteristics include over 40% revenue growth with very weak bottom lines. Um, That's gonna be a much slower recovery. We need the private markets to participate in that high growth, uh, if high growth is going to lead again. We're cool with high growth not leading because we've actually gutted our portfolio and we reorganized it entirely uh, starting in May last year. And again, our audited results, which official press release will be out in two weeks, shows evidence of how hard we worked on that pivot. And I wanna give you some clues as to what that pivot was and some stocks that I think will do really well. Um, So when we look at 2022, what happened? Well, as you know, inflation went up. 
uh, rates went up to control inflation. Uh, the dollar went up, which is a bit unusual uh, during high inflation. But ultimately, tech assets, they're long duration assets. Uh, you're buying a stake in future cash flows and future earnings. So this particular industry, because there's not usually cash flows or earnings, is very, very sensitive to higher inflation and higher rates. So as a result, cost of borrowing, uh, borrowing went up, cash got re-rated, and tech fell out of favor for the most part. However, with that said, if tech fell out of favor, what happened here? Why did these stocks perform so well? If you look at these stocks, these stocks don't look anything like the leaders from 2010 to 2020. Uh, our, the leaders from 2010 to 2020 look entirely different. So this is what I mean by a 180 degree change in your thinking. You've got to embrace the leaders of 2022, form a thread, why did they perform well, and do the same with your own portfolio. That's assuming we don't have any major macro changes. I don't think we're gonna have substantial macro changes this year to where the clouds clear, um, you know, and um, you know, rates come down drastically to where cash would now be re-rated uh, on the downward um, to where it's easier to get cash. I think we're very far away from that. So I'm assuming macro doesn't change. Um, super micro, let's look at super micro. Why was super micro the number one tech stock in 2022? Um, can you guess, looking at this, what happened in January? Uh, well, its operating margin greatly increased. Super, mark, um, super micro uh, did have really strong top line growth uh, around 40%. That often goes hand in hand with a strong operating margin. But as you'll see, the thread here continues to be margins, margins, margins. It may seem very, very simple. Cool, I'll just build my portfolio with companies that have strong margins. But the problem is that that's an entirely big switch from all of the tech darlings over the last 10 years. So people have had a really hard time adjusting. Here's Enphase, what happened with Enphase? Well, uh, let's see, it was roughly April that they started to have really strong bottom line growth. Um, not only were they growing on an adjusted basis, but the key winning ingredient was that they were growing on a gap basis. Um, that is something that a lot of tech companies cannot do. As you know, stock-based compensation is the black sheep of 2022 uh, in terms of line items. And uh, in general, uh, Enphase matches pretty closely to Supermicro on what happened to those margins, which was uh, they continued to expand while most tech companies were struggling in this area. Um, if you guys wanna put in the chat, I'm just really curious if you guys happen to know what the number one cloud stock was in 2022. See if I can get any guesses. I've been getting Oracle, Nvidia, Amazon, Salesforce, AWS, Anet, Zscaler, Snowflake. Um, this is probably going to blow your mind. <laughs> it was Vox. Um, Box actually outperformed. It was positive around 20% last year. Um, and if you look at Snowflake, which is certainly a darling of the last few years, um, I think you can see why. Look at that net income. It has been consistent to slightly growing where uh, this is on a gap basis again, uh, with stock-based compensation being the black sheep and, and really weighing on Snowflake among other things. But it's really easy now to look back and say, oh, 
you know, Box was the number one uh, cloud stock. Snowflake struggled quite a bit despite guys like Warren Buffett investing in it. Why is that? Quick glance, one of them has a strong bottom line and the other one does not. Uh, and to, to a large degree, Snowflake does not. So again, it goes back to how simple is this because Snowflake has been pushed so hard in the press and like there, it has such a brand, a loyal brand following that if it was simple, um, most of us would have gone into this and said, the margins simply don't fit the new macro. I'm not going to invest in Snowflake. I'm going to take a look at something like Box. But switching our thinking has been above and beyond the hardest part of being a tech investor in 2022. And like I said, we really dug in hard and switched our thinking in May. And by August, we started to see very strong results in our portfolio um, because of changing entirely our thinking. And we had to, to um, really do the best for our members who ended up way better than anyone that had um, invested blindly in something like ARC. Um, so what's to watch in 2023? I continue to say NVIDIA is a good one to watch in 2023. I will tell you though that, um, you know, this is, I wanna give you guys a case study of how our uh, service works. <clears throat> so basically, uh, NVIDIA was probably the number one most contrarian call of 2022. Uh, if you go back into a time machine back to August when it missed roughly two and a half billion dollars on its earnings report, um, this is, I mean, a two and a half billion dollar miss on revenue was uh, shocking to say the least. And it was based on crypto mining. Many people question if NVIDIA would ever be able to absorb the crypto mining fall off. Um, from Ethereum's merge to proof of stake. Why were we so bullish and Knox actually bought on the day that NVIDIA bottomed, which was October 8th? Well, a couple things. One is I happened to follow NVIDIA's product very closely and I knew the H100 and RTX 40 were timed perfectly to absorb that crypto mining fall off. But let's say that you weren't spending as, many time, uh, as much time on NVIDIA as I do. I've written 27 premium articles on this stock. Um, it is up 100% from the October bottom, and it's to date the number one performing S&P 500 stock up about 65%. So considering it was incredibly contrarian to say NVIDIA would be a great stock, let's say you didn't know that about the product, um, you didn't get our free analysis and also our $99 a year newsletter analysis, which was very crystal clear that we were going to hold NVIDIA at a high allocation with great stock trades. You could also just take a look at the bottom line. Uh, what's going on here with NVIDIA's bottom line is that it bottomed in July of 2022 and into the foreseeable future, which is February of 2025. I'm using tools from Seeking Alpha. NVIDIA looks like it's you know, on the up and up. It's basically expanding its bottom line. What's interesting is that NVIDIA is not, um, is not simply a, a strong bottom line but it has negative revenue right now. This is why it was such an incredibly contrarian call is that its revenue is somewhere like negative 20%, somewhere in that region. Um, so going into the most recent earnings report, a lot of uh, people were shorting the stock because it had rallied so much off the bottom and rallied so much year to date. What they were failing to see is that the bottom line not only is improving and, and rebounding, but is rebounding into the foreseeable future, which would signal that a lot of its uh, risk around this gaming issue is starting to uh, evaporate and be absorbed. So those are the kinds of clues to look for 
uh, moving into 2023. And this is exactly why, given a pretty nice breather, which is why we actively manage our positions, we never say to people, buy NVIDIA without giving you extremely good information on how to actively manage the position. That means Knox may be taking gains any day now uh, because it has performed so incredibly well. And just like he bought at the bottom in October, uh, chances are, because we watch this stock so well, we're gonna be buying around the next bottom as well for 2023. So it's that active management that's super important. Uh, I'm certainly not saying blindly buy NVIDIA. I'm saying with some uh, finesse, NVIDIA should continue to perform reasonably well, uh, given the fact that its bottom line has bottomed. Again, we think that NVIDIA is topping. It's likely that Knox takes gains uh, any day now. That aside, NVIDIA on the longer trajectory is looking really good compared to most companies right now. And the shorts going into the last earnings report were negating the fact that the bottom line and margins are what's in the driver's seat right now. Again, it's simple, but not easy because the revenue growth is negative. So it's really easy to uh, get wrapped up in the fact that uh, this company might be overvalued. Its valuation is very high. There's this change in story with crypto mining, et cetera. But I'm trying to give you guys some tools as to what to watch for and why we continue to think on the longer term, let's say December of 2023, NVIDIA will have performed reasonably well compared to other mega cap tech stocks. And it's because of this EPS. Um, this one's a little higher risk, but I'll throw out there that I think Netflix, um, you know, I believe uh, Knox can, um, when he comes on, will we'll let us know, but I believe it bottomed sometime last summer of 2022. The thing people are missing is that this company is expanding its free cash flow margin. It was about 1 billion in 2022. They're guiding for 3 billion in free cash flow in 2023. Those are the kinds of signals you're looking for this year for a defensible tech stock. Um, it's much more defensible given everything that just happened with Silicon Valley Bank, given the fact that there's high interest rates when you're sitting on not only some cash, but you're growing uh, your free cash flow margin when very few companies can do that right now. It's not only a, a, an expanding margin that we have to take into account, it's how few companies are capable of that. Uh, so to some extent, even though it's, um, you know, to some extent, I would almost say that 2023, if you're thinking positive, I'm a positive thinker, is easier than the other markets because there's so few companies to actually focus on. I think it's reasonable to have a 10, 10 position tech, all tech portfolio if you're 100% like us, uh, maybe even 12, somewhere in there. Uh, I would get rid of the idea that there are going to be 20 or 30 great tech stocks this year. Uh, I think that there's only a handful to, to, you know, handful or two that can actually show us that they're ready for the new macro per the parameters that were set in 2022 and the companies that performed well in 2022. So I'll just end with a couple of mistakes that I think tech investors make. The first is that assuming all tech companies will survive. If I were to guess and just pull uh, one, one thing about me is that I got my start in the private markets in the startup world in 2010. And uh, I truly saw what it looks like when 90% go out of business. I, I know the people who were the founders of those companies. I know uh, how big of a deal those companies were. They were on every stage in Silicon Valley. They had tens of millions of users on their mobile app, et cetera. Like I saw that their 
chances of success were perceived to be quite high. And in reality, they were not uh, able to succeed at all. So I understand the difference between that perception of how many tech companies will make it through a tough economic cycle versus how many actually do. I've seen that firsthand. And I can tell you that it's a shockingly low amount that can make it through. We all kind of know that. Like, uh, you know, most of us were alive or at least have some understanding of the dot-com boom and bust cycle and how many of those made it. Yes, there was an Amazon out of that. Yes, there was a Google, but there were thousands of casualties. Um, I've seen the mobile boom and bust. There were millions of mobile apps and only a handful make the top 10 and can be viable businesses on the public markets. That's 10 out of millions. Um, I've seen the gaming bus. Zynga is a great example of this. It was a darling that no longer gets any airtime. I, I think they're still operating, but on very thin ground. Um, Zynga was supposed to be the next big company. Zynga is one of hundreds of gaming companies that went out of business around 2014 because gaming hype cycle was over. So I just want to um, let you know that if you look at the cloud, I'm going to pick on cloud, actually. Uh, I think cloud is the one of the weakest areas in tech right now, which is probably shocking for most people to hear because it's treated us so very well over the last 10 years. Um, I've been pushing hard on this thesis um, publicly since December. Uh, we got out of all of our cloud. And I said, basically, the deceleration we're seeing from Q4 to Q1 is not uh, not fire that I would want to play with. That's not something that that is showing us that something really strange or what I should say uh, important is going on uh, that's out of character for cloud. Cloud has never decelerated the way that it did uh, from the Q4 to Q1 guides. We're starting to get some of those earnings reports in and a lot of them missed. And that was easy easier than you might think to predict. If you will go back and look at historically what the Q4 to Q1 guides should have been. Uh, the deceleration was simply way too steep and this is all on our premium site. And so we got completely out of cloud. We're gonna wait this one out. Uh, I think you could get lucky. You might've gotten lucky and picked Cloudflare, but on, which was a pretty decent report, but on the way, there's just so many landmines. Um, the reason I wanna pick on cloud is because cloud has not gone through a period of consolidation. It's the next one in line. The hype cycle was, was alive and well. And the problem is that most of these companies are not cash efficient. They have very weak bottom lines and they have not made it through uh, a period, uh, you know, of where the economy is weak and cash is hard to come by. They've never faced that since really they came to market, which was 2010 or later. So be careful of that and look for consolidation, which means the cloud companies are so beaten up and so cheap, the bigger ones come in and acquire them. Um, this is really what happened with the gaming bust I talked about. Um, ultimately, that's what happened in mobile too. You saw Instagram get bought. You saw a couple of them get bought WhatsApp, but most of them didn't make it. And just keep in mind that the public markets are a nexus strategy for VCs. It does not matter to them if they put a cloud company on the market that later fails. They've gotten their exit. So it's, it, it's, it's a couple of different forces that aren't necessarily aligned is that the private markets will make out handsomely if they just simply put high growth market, uh, high growth companies on the market. And it's our job as public investors to determine if this company can make it through a recession or any, you know, a, a period of economic um, 
you know, uh, contraction that we're going through right now, which would be marked by higher rates. Uh, so just to conclude and let Knox take over, uh, you're looking for gross margins that are flat to expanding, operating margins that are flat to expanding, and net profits that are flat, flat to expanding, um, expanding more desirable than flat. Again, this may seem very simple, but it's not because uh, while going back to that cloud example, if it was simple, we would all be investors in Box. Um, Box would be everywhere in the news. It would be all over Twitter. Uh, instead, it's Snowflake that is. And Snowflake has been, if you look at it over the last year or so, pretty disappointing. Um, and the reason why is because this is not as easy as it seems to give up uh, whatever uh, attraction or draw we had to previous stocks and to say, hey, I was wrong. Like this stock isn't gonna do well in the current macro in the new macro. Um, I need to go find a stock that's going to do well in the new macro. And it won't look anything like the stocks that did well in the last 10 years. And hopefully what I've presented uh, really makes that extremely clear that your portfolio, in my opinion, a defensible successful portfolio today does not look anything like the like the tech portfolio from 2010 to 2020. Um, so for that, I will hand it over to Knox. Thanks, Beth. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about our philosophy and how we approach uh, tech investing. Um, you know, we want to hold a stock for years. I mean, we would prefer to hold a stock indefinitely. Um, However, that's just not reality. Uh, even though we want to hold the position for a very long time, we don't consider ourselves you know, a long-term buy and hold portfolio. Um, that philosophy has been treated very well for the last 12 to 13 years. And uh, we believe that, that that strategy will not do as well in the, uh, the following 10 to 12 years. And so we want to kind of shift our portfolio a little bit based off of that perspective. Um, we do believe in active managing, active management and tools that we use in order to uh, actively manage our portfolio, um, along with the fundamental analysis that Beth talked about is that we have an automated hedging signal, which I'll talk about. We go through periods of raising cash, um, and we rotate our portfolio based off some of the, the metrics that Beth was talking about when we, we notice them popping up, but also based off of kind of a top-down macro approach. So I'll go into a little bit of that right now, Beth. Uh, next slide. So how we utilize macro analysis and broad market analysis, I, I probably track um, anywhere between 30 to 40 markets, uh, ranging from every major US market, most sectors, uh, key stocks like Caterpillar, FedEx, uh, every European market, the Japanese market, Canadian markets, bonds, commodities, energy futures. And the reason why I'm doing this is because there's always a market leading the one you're tracking, always. And when you start looking at it from a holistic approach, uh, it's almost like playing 5D chess. Um, and just to give you an example of what I'm talking about, going into uh, late January, early February, we were seeing warning signs across the board, especially in financials. Financials and the Canadian TSX, which tends to lead the US markets, were throwing off a really clear bear pennant and then they gave this topping pattern uh, that was quite a warning. Uh, to follow up the with the fangs, Google was leading all fangs in 2023, both up and down. And it gave a very strong signal that it was that, that the uptrend has reversed and it's ready to go down. And so based off that information, 
it seemed apparent to me that we were putting in some kind of a topping pattern. We raised quite a bit of cash. Um, we've been raising cash, but we we kind of final finalized our cash raise around that time. And the narrative that followed, which seemed pretty apparent to me, was that uh, you know the super core inflation, which the Fed is talking about, has barely budged, and that the non-services segment of our economy, which accounts for about eighty-six percent of our GDP, was still expanding. Um, in light of all the, the the activity the Fed has done, we're still seeing strong expansion within the con within our economy. Um, and with that expansion comes increased inflation. So we knew that the terminal rate was going to have to go up, which wasn't being priced into the market. And sure enough, that was that was a narrative that triggered this topping pattern that we saw. And so that's one example of how we'll use broad market analysis. And we provide this on a weekly basis with all of our members on a Monday report. Uh, the other thing that we do is we look from a very top-down approach, and this isn't new, several, you know, this has been a really, Ray Dalio really um, and, uh, has perfected this analysis and it's just now made it into the retail space, but looking at um, the economy based off of quadrants or grids, based off of economic growth and inflation. And so in 2020, we saw low inflation, high economic growth. And in that quadrant, in that grid, when you're there, uh, you tend to see excessive risk being taken, high beta outperforms. And then whenever we shift over into high growth and high inflation, we tend to see uh, mega cap tech outperform or mega cap growth outperform and high beta starts to underperform, which is exactly what we saw in 2021. And then when you go into high inflation and low growth, that's when tech gets obliterated. Um, so, and you can see we've been kind of rotating in this grid in a clockwise fashion. And so we will use this information to help position our portfolio. So that's uh, just, just an example of kind of how we, we look at tech investing there. Uh, next slide. Um, we do not believe in buy and hold. Um, and 2022 was the greatest example of that. So we do raise cash. We do raise, raise, uh, rotate our portfolio, but we also implement a, um, a an automated hedge signal. And this was developed by... Um, you know, one of our members who was a machine learning engineer and just just a very, very sharp guy, um, you know, over about a period of six to eight months, he developed a strategy for us um, and, and started a company called Wealth Umbrella. And it uses about six to seven metrics um, in order to basically signal when you have periods of high risk and low risk. And it's in that chart, it's green is buy and, and red is sell. <clears throat> And so we will use this in order to automate a hedge, you know, and we'll we'll hedge our portfolio up to 100%. Um, we're actually 100% hedged right now. Uh, and we have been since early February. Um, and we go into that with our members, you know, if you're doing, a, you know, we're 100% tech, you know, so the hedge that we use is not appropriate for someone who's, say, 25% uh, tech. So it really determined, is dependent on the beta of your portfolio. You want to match that beta. Our goal is to be market neutral. Uh, whenever there's volatility. And since February, portfolio has been uh, basically flat to up, and we haven't lost a second of sleep over this. Um, and we're using this automated signal um, really as, I would say, a backstop to for two things. One, human emotion. And two, if my macro analysis is wrong. you know. And so this automated hedge is really that backstop for us uh, going forward. And we also will actively hold positions. This is just an example of how we actively managed NVIDIA. We were very, um, let's see, very, but we, it took us, 
it took us until about April to realize what was going on in the markets, that this was not just a deep correction within a, a larger uptrend, uh, uptrend, but um, but uh, this was something much bigger. And you can see that in how we um, approached our buying the dip scenarios with those 3% buys. But once we called on, we pretty much nailed NVIDIA. I mean, we were selling at the tops, buying at the bottom. I mean, it was, uh, I mean, we bought at the open on October 13th. It was October 13th. We bought at 108 and change and then started selling and buying. As you can see, this is how we'll approach um, holding a position. Um, and we've been pretty heavy sellers in this kind of 130, 140 region. We actually just sold our last tranche of NVIDIA today and we're holding it. It's still our largest position, but. Uh, we want to take gains when there's risk, and we want to add back when there's less risk. And so by doing this, um, I, I believe our, our, our net loss in, in NVIDIA last year, which was our top position, was around 20%. Uh, so we actually, you know, this is just a great example of just how we'll actually approach this. And so how someone can use this with more of a buy and hold strategy is if, you know, we're not just going to say, hey, we like NVIDIA, you know, buy it when you can. You know, we're going to talk to you about whenever um, it's getting toppy or whenever we want to buy it, you know, and so you could follow along with us. So anyway, next slide. Um, and so two things we want to talk about, we, we put out a free blog um, and we'll actually put out some pretty timely analysis. You know, from my perspective, I put out some broad market analysis and mid to late October saying this is more than just a bounce that, you know, expect a pretty large uptrend, which, which we got. And so we'll give some of this analysis out for free. You know, Beth has provided some, some tremendous tech ideas for free as well. Um, and we also manage, like Beth talked about a live active tech portfolio that has some crypto in it as well. I mean, we basically invest in, in um, tech innovations, which there are some crypto coins, which are very innovative in the tech space. And so you get to see what our allocations are. We put out a Monday portfolio report and uh, we send out uh, real-time trade alerts, text messages saying, you know, when we're actually making a move and what percentage that is. And so uh, you get to see a live portfolio being managed in real time based off all the information that we provided. Um, and we also do uh, go through a pretty strenuous auditing process every year. Um, it takes a couple months to complete. It's pretty pricey. And the reason that we're doing this is because, you know, we want to set ourselves at a higher bar than just, you know, trust us, we're, we're, we're good at what we do, um, or just throwing out some random percentage number of how great we did on Twitter or something like that. We really want you to see, um, you know, how we're doing and what our audited performances it actually is. And this is, you know, a, you know, San Francisco based uh, accounting firm that does this for us. And we've been working with them since we started, but we have... We now have three full years of um, audited returns. And Beth, do we want to talk about that right now or the specifics? Yeah, sure. Um, on that importance of verified returns and risk management for retail, we basically identified three reasons retail tends to not outperform institutions or hedge funds. And our goal is to, is to allow retail investors to close that gap. The first one is uh, what they, Ray Dalio calls man and machine, or I like to call woman and machine. Um, which is we attempted to close that gap with the automated hedge signal, which started to perform very well for us and our members. Um, the other one is uh, real-time trade alerts. So this is risk management. Uh, it's just live risk management, which is incredibly advanced. So 
to tell people in the moment, every stock trade you do is nearly unheard of in the retail space. And we do it because it allows people to have risk management. Institutions and funds, they lead with risk management. Uh, they don't just think they're gonna be such a great stock picker that they're at a casino like Vegas and they just pick the lucky number. Um, instead, what they do is they protect their money, their losses. They, they, they protect themselves from losing money first and foremost, which is Knox's role. We have a full-time role that does that and does that very well. The third is our uh, verified returns, which we technically have four audits with the one that we're going to put out this month. And what I can tell you is that uh, we are, since inception, uh, nearly double the NASDAQ. Uh, we will be one of the only all-tech portfolios that are, can claim double the NASDAQ, if not the only. Uh, we're checking on those other all-tech portfolios, which are few and far between. Um, if you had invested with ARC versus IO Fund from the day we started our portfolio, you would have to make back 173% in order to close the gap on the lead we have over ARC right now. Um, and this is with the new audit that's coming out. Uh, we did end negative. Uh, we're just having our lawyer look over the press release for Business Wire, uh, which is why I'm not giving you the, the exact number. But I believe that our returns put us in the top 10% of all tech portfolios. Uh, across the board. Uh, we crushed Morgan Stanley's inception, uh, which happens to be the money manager manages over $130 billion assets under management. So when you compare our performance, we're hanging with uh, the good old boys is how I like to put it. But the, um, the, 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 mainly the fellas who have a lot of, you know, billions, tens of billions, some hundreds of billions asset under management that have, uh, you know, uh, some mutual fund or what whatnot that specializes in tech with that portfolio that specializes in tech, we are the we are uh, greatly outperforming them. Um, that doesn't mean we didn't end negative last year. It just means on an apples to apples basis, we outperformed our our peers and our competitors. So that's a big deal, and uh, we invest heavily in this. So uh, across the board, we invest over forty thousand dollars a year in real time trade alerts and the audit. Uh, so we place our number right around $130,000 that we've put into accountability for retail, which I don't know any other team that has invested quite like that. I like to joke that it could have bought two Model Y Teslas, or I could have traveled the world for a year, or could have bought a, a yacht and sailed the bay. But instead, uh, we wanted to put our best foot forward, show people in real time how to do risk management, and it made us better investors. Uh, we started to, Knox can talk more, about this, but he started to really work closely uh, with Vincent from the Wealth Umbrella to hedge the portfolio. In August, um, I encouraged Knox to put two positions at the very top of our portfolio that ended up 30% from the point that he was buying them. Um, so in August, I really got my head on straight around how to build a defensible tech portfolio, which is some of what I showed you today. And I started to question everything that I had um, you know, everything that I had relied on in the past because of that new macro and the forces it put on us. And a lot of it was because of the accountability we have. If you're in real time, um, we don't get to just sit back and say, uh, you know, whoops, you know, we, we didn't do well. Uh, we have to really every day put on our boots, go out there and make it happen. Uh, and because it's in real time, uh, it changes the amount of pressure you have on yourself. It greatly increases the pressure if it's skiing, it's double diamond advanced skiing. This is not, uh, you know, 
This is not your buddy hill. This is not your intermediate. This is an all tech portfolio managed in real time, hedged up to hundred percent and hanging with, you know, the, the big boys in wall street. So that's really kind of how we've um, set out and uh, it's not easy. And our members have been very supportive of us, which, you know, thank you for that if you're on the call. And they allowed us uh, a couple months to get, uh, turn this thing around and we did. And uh, I think when our audit comes out in about two weeks, uh, the business wire press release that you'll see the evidence of that. So what we offer is a premium newsletter, which starts at 99 a year. Um, we also have a full service at 799 a year. Uh, so around like some of the information we gave you on NVIDIA and how to actively manage it, Knox drops in once a month on the premium newsletter, but he's there every day on the premium side, the 799 a year. Uh, I'm uh, providing unique deep dives. So for instance, uh, a deep dive that's coming out soon is on Google's antitrust lawsuit in September. Uh, whatever the outcome is, we're going to be ready. Uh, it's the biggest antitrust uh, lawsuit since Microsoft. Those are the kinds of unique deep dives. Uh, a lot of people will tell to you about, um, you know, chat bots right now and things like that, but there's nothing more important to Google than its antitrust lawsuit. So those are the kinds of unique deep dives we do. Um, Real-time trade alerts, I think I got three today already from Knox. Um, and hedging, which again is very advanced, but it's something that Knox holds webinars on. He held a Q&A on it yesterday. Um, and we also put out free analysis. So if you're still wanting to do some research on our team, uh, just know that our free analysis, I believe, is pretty top tier as well. Uh, we don't short anyone there. We go full force and give you usually two or three pretty actionable stock tips a year through the free side. So anyways, I hope that was helpful. Just a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast should not be considered investment advice. At times, myself or the guest, my own positions in the securities mentioned, but this is for entertainment purposes only, and you should seek advice from a licensed professional before investing. And if you're enjoying the show, do us a favor and leave a rating or review on your favorite podcasting app, or leave a comment on our show notes page. We love the feedback and interacting with the best investing audience in the world. And we'll see you again next week with a new episode and a new guest.